Shall we pray? Our Father, we uh, thank you for all that you have taught us, spoken to us by your Spirit, through your Word, as we journeyed from the start of this year through the book of Acts. I pray that we will not be the same. Please, move us closer to becoming like the risen Lord, the Lord Jesus. I pray that you will put all of life and our own lives into perspective for us in the light of the gospel, that we might follow him joyfully, obediently, for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So by the time we um, journey through Acts, I hope that you'll be asking yourself this question in the end. What is Acts, the book of Acts, all about? Now, that, that is a very tricky question because you can't just give one sentence and say that the book of Acts is all about this. But in a sense, you can capture by looking at the start of the book and the end of the book, and you will have a very good idea of what Acts has been about. And if you understand what Acts is about, at least if you have an idea, if we begin to have an idea of what Acts has been about, you will understand what Christianity is all about. So let's ask the question this way. What is Christianity all about? Can you hear me? Okay. I feel like I'm screaming a little bit. What is Christianity all about? What is it? What really is Christianity all about? Thank you very much indeed. It shows that I'm not a very tech person. Now, this question of what Christianity is all about is important because, depending on the answer you give, it is going to de determine what you believe your life is all about. It's not just a, a theoretical question. It's actually the question about why do I follow Jesus? And wh why are we even in this world? What is at the core of your life? When all is said and done and we wake up every morning, we go to work and we go through the traffic and all the challenges and then we, we come home. What actually drives you? <clears throat> what drives your life? What is your life all about as you toil day after day after day? What you say Christianity, as I said earlier, is about will be reflected in what you believe your life is all about. Now, what do you think, is another question, what do you think in your life is worth dying for? No, I didn't say it's worth living for. Because if you are clear on the very thing that I will die for this, or I will die for that person, it means that you will live for that person as well. If you come to the point of being willing to die for that thing, that person, it means that that is actually the reason you live in the first place. And if your life will be demanded from you as a result of being asked to deny that thing or that person, you would rather die. What, what do you think in your life is worth dying for? Can I give you a few seconds to think about that? For others, they will say, God but in reality, it is money. In reality, it is their spouse or their children or their studies or their career. 
That is worth dying for. It is one thing professing something with your mouth. I'm not sure why. <clears throat> it's another thing actually displaying that in the way you live. So what is it in your life that is worth dying for? Think about it. Or what is it in your life that is worth living for? Why are you alive? Why do you wake up and you live? You toil? The end of Acts is going to help us. We have come to the end of the book of Acts. And guess what? It is surprisingly anticlimax. When I say anticlimax, uh, for those of you who like watching movies, Anytime you watch a movie and it is climbing and the enemy is going to be defeated, when we were growing up, we called that one the killer. <laughs> the killer is going to be defeated by the who? The blue man. Blue man. <laughs> I'm not sure why we call them the blue man. And so everything points to that until the killer is defeated and life, they live happily together ever after. That is a climax. But Acts is surprising. Now, Paul had received, let me, let's go back a little bit. He had received the assurance from, from the Lord. The Lord had appeared to him and had assured him. Chapter 23, he said to him, take courage, Paul, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. You have testified about me in the Middle East, the eastern side. Now we're going to push to the western side, and you're going to testify in Rome. And because that is Jesus' purpose, because that is Jesus' purpose for Paul and his team, nothing could stop Paul. Not the sufferings, not the beating, not the storms that they encountered could actually stop it. Why? Because the Lord Jesus had declared that you must testify in Rome. That is my purpose for you. We're taking the gospel right to the seat of the emperor. And to there you must go. And nothing can stop that. No purposes can actually destroy the purpose of Jesus in this. The emperor must hear the gospel. And Paul, you are going to do that. And so there we go. And then finally, Paul arrives in Rome. And there is trumpet sound. And there is fanfare. And there is noise to welcome Paul and his team into Rome. Isn't it? No. That is not, that is not what happens. Look at verse 12 to verse 14. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Petulia. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. <laughs> that is where we've been building. We were expecting something more exciting about entering Rome. He just narrates and said, and at the end of the day, we actually arrived in Rome. Is that all? Is that all that can be said? Here is the thing. The Holy Spirit is not interested in all the build-up to entering Rome. It is not about Rome as such. It is about the message for the emperor. Because Paul is going to testify before Caesar, the lord of the world, the Roman world. 
It is about the message for him, not so much about the space called Rome. And so what Luke records for us at the end of Acts is so important, will tell us what Christianity is all about, will tell us what the Christian's life is all about. And he tells us, verse 30 and 31, he says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Listen to verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Act is finished. What we hear, he is proclaiming of all that he's been doing, all the sufferings he's gone through, finally arriving at Ro in Rome, and he's seen, heard, proclaiming only two things we are told, which is the same, really. The kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point, he gives, he gives a title, the, the threefold, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the King, who is the Messiah, the Anointed One. The one that Israel has been looking forward to come. He is talking about him. So what is he talking about when we say he's talking about the kingdom of God? Well, he's talking about this. You can put it in simple terms. He's talking about the reign of God. He's not just talking about a geographical space. The whole world is his. But he's talking about the break-in of the reign and the rule of God on earth. The rule of God has broken into our city. Jesus Christ is the king of that kingdom. The rule of God has come. That's what he's proclaiming. And if you want to know who is the supreme Lord of the kingdom of God, that covers everywhere, not only Rome. Caesar is not the one. It's Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. He is the king of the kingdom of God. And just think through it. For all that he had had to suffer and all the storms he had had to go through, his goal, what we are told at the end, what happens after we are, we, 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 it was not recorded for us, you can actually know historically from other writings, possibly some of the things that may have taken place afterwards, but the Holy Spirit is interested in this, that at the end of it all, in telling about the growth and the move of God through the church, this is what we are told at the end. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, that is Paul's goal, to talk about this, to te teach about this Jesus. Why? Because that is Jesus' goal. You remember when we started Acts, we said that Acts is not so much about Acts of the Apostles than it is Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Apostles and the church. And let me remind you of this. That is what Acts has been about from the very beginning. Acts is about how God is advancing his kingdom on earth through his king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and inviting people into it. So let's look at it. Chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7. 
Paul isn't saying anything different. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him. This is um, the resurrection. Jesus is raised and the disciples have met with him. He is about to be ascended into heaven. So what he tells them is going to be crucial. What Luke records for us here. They gathered around him and asked him, listen to the question they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Don't worry about how they are perceiving the kingdom, but they get it that this is about the restoration of God's kingdom. He said to them, the Lord Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is how the kingdom of God is going to break through. And you think, if you think the kingdom is just about Israel, it is going to be from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth by the power of the Spirit. So this is the kingdom. So when Paul gets to the end of Acts and he's talking about the kingdom, he's saying that see how the kingdom of God, King Jesus, has broken through all the frontiers of the world. Not suffering, not storms could stop the advancement of the gospel. And now look, the gospel is going to be right in front of Caesar. He will hear it. God at work through the king. It's very interesting how Christians, we are such, um, I've forgotten the English, but we're such myopic. Myopic is small, right? And I won't go to school. <laughs> you, you're shaking your head, I don't know. Myopic is small, isn't it? Small. Even accountants know, uh, accounting professor knows uh, myopic. Sometimes we have such myopic view of life. We can be so absorbed in our suffering and self-pity and all the difficulties that we, we have that we don't even lift up our eyes and see that in and through that, amongst our weaknesses, God is advancing his purposes, which is his kingdom and his king breaking in, even among the powers that, that be. Jesus Christ, the Lord. So right now, what is God doing on earth? You realize that Acts ends in a way that is open. Paul is proclaiming boldly, without hindrance. What do you think that is all about? Eventually, Paul will be killed. But what do you think that is all about? Boldly and without hindrance. Listen, nothing will stop Jesus advancing his kingdom. It will be bold and it will be without hindrance, in spite of our sufferings. It will be in and through that. Strange people will hear and see that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what do you think God is doing now? He is advancing his kingdom. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That is the Christian message. He is king, and he calls you to pay absolute allegiance to him. What do you think our city needs most? What do you think Accra needs most? What do you think uh, the Equipping Bridge or wherever needs most? What do you think you, at the heart, the very core of your life, you need most? What do you think you do? Well, uh, let me say this from Acts. 
it is that Accra would experience in every aspect of our city life the reign of God breaking into this city. People turning to come, justice being seen. We having glimpses of the reign of Christ over our city. And I tell you what, in our own hearts, that is what we need. The greatest human need is the need for Christ to reign over me. For Christ to be my Lord. That's why I said we sometimes are very myopic. Now, our problems and challenges are real. They are real. But I tell you what. God has a more beautiful, more glorious purpose that he is working through in Christ in that same circumstance. And so don't get absorbed in it. Just keep the main thing, the main thing, when the confusion is plenty and deep. Keep the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing, the main thing? Jesus, would you continue to reign over me as my Lord and my Savior? Now, as I said, it's quite possible that Paul was released um, by various things. We wouldn't go in now. It is very possible he was released after appearing before Caesar. He was free, and then he was rearrested. That was probably around the reign of Emperor Nero. If you check historically, he was wicked. He didn't like the church. And it is believed that in AD 64, we are 2003, somewhere around 64, Paul was executed. Paul was killed in that persecution. Now, before that will happen, before Paul would die, you know, he's coming to the end. By the time he arrives in Rome, whatever follows, however you look at it, he's nearing the end of his mission, the end of his life. And so before he will be executed, he writes a letter. He writes a letter to a young pastor called Timothy, the second reading that we had. And then he tells Timothy. What he tells Timothy and what he proclaims in Acts chapter 28, 30, and 31 will give you an indication of what Paul actually lived for. What he lived for. What he was prepared to die for. Listen to what he tells Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'll read a few verses in chapter 4. First, verse 1 and verse 2. You're about to die. You have something to say to a younger pastor, and this is what you have to say in concluding your letter. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and listen, and in view of his, of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because it is in preaching the word that the kingdom, God uses that. The kingdom breaks into people's hearts. Paul knows it. He's done it all his life. Verse 5, 2 Timothy 4. But you, he tells him again, keep your head in all situations and do your hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. You know that word is from good news. Do the work of the one who proclaims the good news. Because people, the kingdom, will break into people's hearts when they hear the good news. At the heart of the preach the word is do the work of the evangelist, of an evangelist. Preach the gospel. Verse 6, he says, 
For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. Listen to what Paul says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. How do we get glimpses into this? Well, go back to Acts, the way Acts ends. What is the good fight and finish the race and kept the faith? It is this, put it simply, that I acknowledge the reign of God, the rule of God, the inbreaking of his kingdom with Jesus as the Lord, Jesus as the king, and he reigns over me. So not only did I proclaim, I lived under his rule as Lord. And so if you want to know exactly what fight he has fought and what race he had run and what faith he had kept, it is the faith that comes from the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking into the face of Jesus every day as the one who laid down his life for me, my Savior, as the one who has been raised from the dead, my Lord. Verse 8, 2 Timothy. Now there is installed, he says, for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to the heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see how this kingdom, this focus on the kingdom of God, the reign of God in our world, Jesus Christ as the sole and supreme monarch, king, occupies everything that Paul lived for. I don't know what you are living for. I don't know. Maybe as a church we need to examine what is at the core of our lives individually, familyly, and as a church community. Are we all about thinking that the kingdom of God has already broken in? God is advancing his kingdom by Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ours is to proclaim it. Ours is to live under his reign by his grace. So what does the proclamation, because in verse 31 of Acts, back to Acts, he says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What does it actually mean for us? What does it mean for us? Maybe you have picked up, you've gleaned some things from what I have said earlier. L let me, let me, let me um, make this point. If you are a Christian here, and I suppose many of us are, you will not experience Jesus as anything else in your life unless you first experience him as king. Sometimes we are tempted as Christians because of our, the culture of our Christianity. It's not all bad, but let's admit, because of that culture, to invoke the name of Jesus as if it is a magical wand. The name of Jesus is like magic. Jesus is like magic. You need something, you just and then he appears and he does it. I'll say something that will probably upset you. Jesus is not interested in any other thing. Jesus is even not ultimately interested in your healing and financial breakthrough. Jesus will care for you. Jesus is primarily interested in breaking into your heart every day as your king reigning over you, 
Because that is where you find life. Under the reign of God. Remember the, the Garden of Eden? The Garden of Eden where we have a picture of the kingdom of God, where God's people were living in God's place under God's rule and God's blessing. And then they rebelled against it. And what do you find? They lose life. It is under his reign, King Jesus, that you find life. That is why there is a resurrection. The resurrection by the Lord. That's where you find true life. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the start, the continuation, and the finishing. He is Lord. He doesn't want anything from you. Absolute allegiance to the king in every area of your life. The king is calling us. That's why Paul is proclaiming. And that's why this, this can cost you your life if you lived in Paul's day. Because the king is calling for a complete and absolute submission to his kingship in every area of your life. Not just in the church life. Every area of your life, Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore, everything is done for him. Do you realize how much sometimes we fear human beings? And Jesus Christ is Lord verbally. But actually, in practice, other human beings are Lord. And so we are so moved to please them rather than pleasing Christ. When the rubber meets the road, Jesus is not actually Lord. Somebody else is. Sometimes it is our wives or husbands. We fear that we might incur their wrath, right? And therefore, we'll compromise a little bit and Jesus understands. The king understands. Your life and my life will, 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 English is such a difficult language, will only be worth living if it is lived under Jesus. As we enjoy the king. He's the only king you really enjoy. As you enjoy him and you obey him. These two things always go together. Love for him. Enjoying, delighting in him. And obedience to the king. He wants me fully. And I've been thinking about this. Um, this dawn. King Jesus wants me fully. And that is why the gospel has to be preached. The gospel is not just for people who are non-Christians to come in. The gospel actually, put it in another way, is the declaration of this kinship. And you are calling every human being. Do you know what you're doing when you proclaim the gospel? You are calling every human being irrespective of who they are, whether they are governors or empress or kings, whether they are moms or dads, whether they are lecturers or um, janitors, those who clean um, places and collect trash bin. He's, he's calling everybody, everybody, look to him who is raised from the dead. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You will not experience Jesus in any way truly unless you are experiencing him as your king. So what does it mean for us again, secondly, is to live your life testifying. If you believe it, live your life testifying to the kingdom of God. We just can't keep quiet. Somebody has said that Preach the gospel with your life, and where necessary, use words. That is not correct. 
Preach the gospel with your words and let your life testify to its power. People can watch your life and they, don't, they see something unique. They don't understand it until you offer an explanation. That's why people give their personal testimonies. And so we should live our lives testifying at every opportunity. We ourselves are living under the reign of this king. Where else would you want to be? And live your life testifying every opportunity. Tell somebody, if you can't say anything when it comes to evangelism, just say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the king here. What does it mean for us, thirdly? I want to appeal to you that let every aspect of your life be invested in the kingdom of God, the advancement of the kingdom of God, and pointing to the reign of Christ. That is worth living and dying for. The kingdom of God and Jesus Christ the King, my allegiance to him and to him and to him alone. Yes, you might say, perhaps in your heart, it is easier said than done. I agree. So we need God's help. This is worth living and dying for. Every other thing. Can you imagine that every other thing is coming to an end? Every other thing is so worthless unless you think it in kingdom terms. Can you imagine? All the monies that we are trying to amass. To what end? Really to what end? Oh, I have three houses here and I have four houses there and I have this. Great. Praise the Lord for that. But to what end? Is that what you live for? What a miserable life. The kingdom of God. Jesus' reign. Partnering with him. By submitting to that, and as he supplies grace, doing everything we can that people rush to this king. Now, perhaps you have listened to me and I'm finishing, and you are wrestling with that idea that, oh, how do I get myself into the king, uh, the, the kingdom? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to even be in the kingdom, let alone be working for the kingdom, whatever that will look like. And, and, and so you are beginning to um, pull back. You're beginning to look down. You're beginning to wonder whether you, you could even be in the kingdom. Let me tell you a story to finish. It is a story of the Bible. And what better story than the story Jesus himself told in Luke chapter 18, verse 15, to 17. So Jesus has been teaching, and some people, for whatever reason, thought, I'm sure there were parents who were concerned for their children, decided to bring children. And if you understand first century children thing within that culture, when people are talking about important things, that's not when you bring children from upstairs. They will distract us. And so please take them back. That was more like the attitude. No, why? Why are you bringing children to the Lord? Verse 15 of Luke 18, people were bringing <clears throat> babies to Jesus for him to place his hand on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
What are you saying? This is, this is staggering. Children are messy. They are messy. They are messy. I don't know what other words to explain messy. But you know what? They mess things up. So let's have our children here. We love them, but they are messy. For those of you who have children, you know how they pour this here, and no matter how much you try to. Children are messy. So the disciples were right to keep them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Emphasis. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And I tell you, adults who are clean and proper and prim, anyone who does not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. So if you are wondering whether you actually can come into the kingdom, listen to this. Children, as I said, are messy. Children are dependent. Children are weak. Children are needy. Children cry out for help. Do that. And you have a place in the kingdom. Turn to Jesus with a cry out. King, help me. King, clean me up. King, invite me in. I want to submit to you, but I can't. Struggling. Help me to do that. So if you are messy right now, come. He will clean you up and teach you how to continue to be clean. Clean you up every day. He wants you to be under his reign. Turn, 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 turn from your messiness, from your sin, and then come to him. Don't, don't, don't make yourself into the king. That is our sin. And that's why Christians also continue in this sin. Uh, don't think fornication at this point. Think how we put ourselves in place of the king. And we try to reign areas of our lives because we think we have expertise. Submit every area of your life to the king. It is only by that that you'll find what is worth living for and what is worth dying for. Let me pray. Father, we, we want to live for the king of God's kingdom and submit to him completely. Every area of our life, we come. We come in just as we are, that he might qualify us into the kingdom every day. Please, Lord, help us. We need you.